Who's Donald Trump's best friend? Everybody seemed sort of shocked when, at least for a few days, a couple weeks back, it seemed to be his fellow New Yorker, Chuck Schumer, who also happens to be leader of the Democrats in the Senate, who would normally therefore be known as the enemy in any other recent Republican White House. But as we all know, this isn't any normal White House, Republican or otherwise. So what do his supporters think of this dance with the Dems? Well, you might be surprised. This time on Poll Hub. Let's get started. And hi, everybody. This is Paul Hub. I'm J.D. Dapper. And I'm Lee Merigoff, director of the Marist College Institute for Public Opinion. And this time, we're not in Poughkeepsie. We are in New York City. How come? Well, Paul Hub every now and then goes on the road. And this time, we're in the Big Apple. Uh, we have a latest poll out on Mayor de Blasio and his re-election prospects. It's a route. We'll talk more about that as we get closer to Election Day, because right now, there are no surprises. No surprises there. It's funny, because you think about off-election years, and I always remember that as a political reporter, one of the things I you kind of looked forward to was right after the big presidential election, you had a whole year where there's really nothing to do. Except if you live in New York, because you've got the mayor's race and you've got the New Jersey governor race. The only other big race is the Virginia governor's race. So there's no rest for the weary and, and if we, you're a New we, York political reporter. And we always found that uh, that New York City reporters played the mayor's race sometimes even more than they played the presidential race. Because for the presidential race in New York, there's a lot of national reporters in here this is your own show yeah, for New York reporters, well, and, and if it was a show. But this one's very off-Broadway and, right well, now. Well, well, until this president, I'm not sure that we've had a president who's been as big a character as the biggest character mayors of New York. <laughs> I think maybe maybe we've got a race on uh, this time. So let's talk about okay, Donald Trump. Sure. Let's um, move on to that. Because... Um, uh, he made best friends in the last couple of weeks uh, with Chuck Schumer, fellow New Yorker, uh, guys who have spent a lot of time together over the last 25, 30 years in the tabloid cauldron of New York City, right? They know each other. They're very well versed in how each other play ball. And Donald Trump goes out and 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 makes a deal on uh, immigration, apparently, with Chuck Schumer and everybody, pretty much on up from Democrats, the far left Democrats to the far right Republicans, act totally shocked. Like, what is going on here? I'm guessing you weren't shocked. You've you've well, been around not, this uh, well, this city for long enough to, well, to know. The conclusion is that Donald Trump may like winning, and he hasn't been winning too often. But in this national poll, what we saw was that his approval rating has gone from 35 to 39. His disapproval stayed about the same, but there's actually a return, not to Democrats and independents who are now breaking loose to now support him, but a return to some of his base, which had been cracking a little bit. And in fact, Republicans have gone from 78% approval of the president to 87. His supporters, Trump that's supporters. A big, that's actually a big Yes, move. absolutely. The base was back. And then uh, Donald Trump supporters went from 86 to 91. So what we've got here is an odd mixture. Schumer, Pelosi, and the Republican base. And where is this all going to settle out? Yeah, and so, that's still very unclear. So what confuses me about that is that the perception is about Donald Trump and his base is that he could, as as we've famously said on this show repeatedly, and they say it on the newscast all the time, he said he could walk into the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and nobody, none of his supporters would walk away from him. And we've seen that uh, to a large degree in poll after poll. But this is almost that. He's made a deal 
on immigration, which was the single most salient feature of his campaign. Build the wall, build the wall, build the wall. He's made a deal on that that his core um, public supporters, the the um, you know the, the hardest of the the nationalist right, mm-hmm. were up in arms over. So his base isn't though. Why? Well, you know, and it may have to do with him uh, and just the the fact that he is who he is in terms of attitude. Um, I mean, to take your point to one step more in the in the absurdum argument is that he actually put out from the reelect committee some advertising or some solicitation to his supporters to help fund the wall. That they should contribute. This is not Mexico's going to pay for it. This is Trump supporters. We want the wall. We got to have security. Help me pay for it. So that's a real full circle on this. But there's a risk in all this. Let's talk a little bit, maybe risk. So if he moves really to deal with a Schumer and a Pelosi, is he really risking his base in the long run? Or is he maybe sending a message to the likes of Mitch McConnell Paul and, and Paul Ryan that, you know, I like winning. You didn't win. I can win with these guys. I'm going to go there. You guys get your act together. And maybe that's the message he's sort of saying, and he's teasing it with Schumer and Pelosi along so, the way. So I've seen other polling that suggests that that, that his base, uh, the people who voted for him, let's just call it that. These are the people sure. who voted for him. They don't like Paul Ryan or Mitch McCall, uh, McConnell almost any more than they like, you know, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. I mean, they 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 he won. I think it's fair to say he won on an outsider, hate the establishment, crush the establishment. And he happened to do that nominally as a Republican. But his base is no more in love with a Mitch McConnell than they are with a Chuck Schumer. Because a drain the swamp is every much part of who he was in terms of attracting support as let's return Republican government to Washington in the White House. That's not what that was about. So why don't his supporters, is it because of that that his supporters then say, look, they see on the news he made a deal. So they see with with uh, Pelosi and, and Schumer, they see Steve Bannon and other people like go, oh, these the Republicans are failures, a disaster. And it's the Republicans fault that he had to make a deal with the Democrats. And they say, yep, yep. Don, so, Donnie's so, not the problem. Yeah. So 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 we'll see where that all washes out. I, you know, this is a very delicate game. And then in the future, we're talking midterm elections. And if you don't think Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan are thinking about that right now, or Schumer and Pelosi, uh, then uh, there's a bridge not too far from here. <laughs> but, you know, I think also, in, in fairness, um, we did have these hurricanes. And I think probably the president, you would say, would drop the ball with his handling of Houston but seemed to get a second chance with Florida and was much more, dare I say, presidential in treating the the, the situation in Florida. And people generally approved of that. 55% say they they approved the president's handling of the hurricanes. Only 25% disapproved. Now, hurricanes are not a tough issue for presidents. Well, George Bush would maybe disagree. (laughs) You were reading my mind. (laughs) Katrina, not so pretty for, for, for President Bush. But what do you have to do as a president, um, just in terms of, as they say, the optics? Well, you, you know, you go down and, you know, you say how sorry you are and you put FEMA in there and, you know, you speak to the American spirit. This is not tough. But in Houston, 
it wasn't something he was as successful doing because so much of what he hasn't done has been traditional presidential things. But 55% of Americans approve of anything that Donald Trump has done. That seems like a high watermark of this administration. Absolutely. So, so this was should have been a ground ball. He hit a ground ball, and, and he's got 55%. Is that also partly why you believe that his base and um, his um, um, uh, supporters that voted for him um, their numbers have come up, is at least in part because... Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, if you want to talk, again, go back to winning, uh, you know, at least they saw something that uh, that characterized, you know, something that he was doing that was positive for a change, because so much of it hasn't been. Um, although I may say, that in terms of his handling of the hurricanes, the 72% of Republicans and the 72% of Trump supporters who did approve were fewer than he actually has in terms of his overall approval. Right. So he actually did better this time among independents and Democrats. One third of the Democrats actually gave him positive reviews on his handling of the hurricanes. It's the only time that's happened so far. So let, let's talk briefly about DACA, because that's that's really the deal that he made with Schumer and Pelosi. So here's the dreamers, the, the you know, commonly perceived and portrayed as kids who were who came to this country uh, through no fault of their own, although they came illegally. They've grown up, they're productive citizens, they're in the military, they're this, that, and the other thing, right? Uh, and, and Donald Trump made a deal with the Democrats to uh, to after ending DACA and getting on the bad end of that deal in terms of the the public perception to make a deal to then be on the good side of that. What do Americans think of that? And, and they, they're very much concerned that DACA would end. So when it comes to that, only 33 percent as one, are you sort of happy and going in the the more conservative ending, direction? Ending DACA. Wrap so 33 percent support the initial move to end. And 57% say this is not the way to go. This is all the kinds of things that you were talking about of people who were raised here and through no fault of their own are contributing members of the society. Um, And even Donald Trump, about two out of every three comments he makes on DACA are positive towards keeping it. Uh, and he's actually articulated some of those very same things that you just did. So, so yeah. we'll see where that all washes out. Yeah, I'm really curious to see if this 39%, I mean, that's the headline here, is that we're, he's back up to 39% approval rating, uh, whether that comes back down after the, the bloom is off the rose. The other thing, just real briefly, that struck me is that uh, pretty much every day since he's been inaugurated, he's been in the news for all the wrong reasons if you're a public relations specialist, right, whether he's tweeting or whatever. He was out of the news because of the hurricanes, largely out of the news for days at a time. And it was a noticeable change. I noticed on my Twitter feed, people were actually remarking, hey, this is weird. We're not talking about Donald Trump. So, I, you know, there may have been some of that, too. So it may be less of a pivot, the most overused word to describe Donald Trump, and more of just the way the news cycle moved on past him in the short run and how much he does, how better he does when that happens. We'll see if we get another occasion for that at some point down. Maybe not a hurricane, hopefully, but something else. You know, one of the things that um, is a interesting to me about the the polling, Maris poll, and having you know covered you guys as a reporter and, and now working with you now for so long is seeing the phone room, these, this room full of phones and computers. And I've been in there on polling nights when, when people are calling. And I, I'm pretty sure I could not do that because I can't imagine what happens on the other end of the line. 
So we have somebody here who's done it, been in the trenches. Brooke, introduce yourself. So I'm Brooke DePama. I am currently a senior at Marist College, and I started out as an interviewer, and now I'm a poll assistant. So it's been a ride. So let's talk about the beginning, right, when you were just on the phones. Um, and you polled during uh, the 2016 election, the presidential election? I did, yeah. Yeah, so that must have been pretty intense because you guys did tons of polls, tons of states. Did you walk into the beginning of your shift like with with butterflies in your stomach? So at first, my first night, I'll never forget it. Second year, second week, freshman year, all of a sudden they're telling me that I have to call California, and I'm like, how do we even do that? So, I mean, immediately hopping on the phone, just getting someone to talk to you and being convincing enough to tell them how they really feel. It's not an easy job, but after a few calls, it's definitely doable. So I know we, we've talked to um, others in the in the uh, operation that have talked about how the, the training works and stuff like that. Did you feel, you? so you got started, you picked up the phone, you, you got to get your feet wet. It doesn't matter how much training there is, it's still the first time somebody goes, hello, do you just like... You didn't freeze. I mean, of course, the first time someone says hello, you honestly just look at the script and you just like, like you just start reading. Because what else are you gonna do? I, I, you can't say anything but the script, or else it would be biased. And so my first time when I just started talking and just getting a feel for the person, honestly, it was just kind of natural in a weird sort of way. So one of the questions I always get when I, I mention that I'm, I'm, you know, we're doing polling or I'm, I'm working with the Marist Bowl or when we were doing polling, we were doing a story on the poll and, you know, when we'd come up and do TV stories on how the poll is made was, oh my God, what, what's what's the worst? Everybody wants to know, what's the worst you ever got? Is there a lot of that where lots of, I'm sure there's a fair number of hangups. Are there people who are, you know, mean? And are there a lot of them or is it really rare? I mean, there's always going to be that one person that doesn't really want to talk, and you can convince them, tell them, we trust you, we want to hear your opinion, please gain confidence in us, and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, if they don't want to talk to you, you have to hang up, they have to hang up on you, get back on the phone, call the next person. But it's it's when you get that complete, that's when you get excited and want to keep calling. When you went from freshman year Mm. to your senior year, um, and you went from a rookie interviewer, a novice, <laughs> now to a you know war weary veteran here. Um, what have you learned along the way that makes a good caller? What are the qualities that this brought out in you? Or when you're evaluating someone, supervising someone now, what makes what do you look for as a good caller? So I think I think that like a good caller just has to be someone that's enthusiastic on the phone, someone that genuinely wants to be sitting in that seat and calling people across country, whether it be at four thirty in the beginning of our shift or at eleven o'clock at the end of our shift. I think that a good convince a good interviewer is a person that's very convincing, very compelling on the phone, something that someone that's willing to listen, but also directs them back to the survey and moves them along. So you had experiences where people actually you, you didn't want to get off the phone, right? Yeah. So a five-minute interview has sometimes gone 20 minutes because a person is just so willing to share how they feel about everything going on in this country, whether that be about the 2016 election or most recently with the mayor election. People want to talk. People yeah, I, want to talk. Yeah, I, I find it because this is a question I get asked a lot, too, because people say, boy, if you ever called me, I don't think I would talk. Mm-hmm. Um and yet, I think that what we find in uh, most times is that it's not that people don't want to talk, is they have a lot of opinions and they want to share. And the problem is keeping them within the script. 
Uh, so if you say the script meaning you're trying to have them answer specific questions because you want to have a standardized yeah. interview. Yeah. So if you say this is not the actual wording, but are you basically going to vote for Trump or you going to vote for, for Clinton? Um, the person may start well originally. I was, but then yeah, over time, and then in the second debate, I felt. <laughs> but then as we get closer to election day, and before you get done with this, you're looking for a check for one place. And right. Then that's yeah, where do I check the box? How hard is it to train um, students to do this? I mean, obviously, you were trained. You did mm. well. You did a great job. You're, but you now train them. How hard is it to do to train anybody to do this? So honestly, like during the career night, sometimes it could be shorter, longer. But we have a bunch of first-time interviewers. We have a lot of people coming in, very willing, very eager. And then sometimes they get a little intimidated when they call a thousand people and they only get two. So honestly, you just have to keep looking at them, encouraging them. And then eventually when they do get that call, they want to come back. They want to keep going. And and you've also trained, because um, we talked a little bit before this, um, uh, some people like me, political <laughs> journalists, to actually do the work. Yeah. Um, who was it and how did that work out? Yeah, this is actually a pretty funny story, Brooke. <laughs> yeah, so you think that a political journalist like you would be super, like, advocate on the phone and just be able to hop on, get a call right away, but not even Mark Halperin could get a call right away. So when we had Showtime come in, um, the circus actually came and did it with us. Mark froze up within the first few <laughs> seconds. And I was telling him, no, no, keep going along with the script. It's, it's all right there for you. But it's that moment when all of a sudden you get a little nervous. Don't and you you must have loved that, though. It's like there's all these like 18, 19-year-old kids around, and they're just banging it out, getting the calls done. And here's a guy who's been on TV you know, half his life who's been able to speak extemporaneously <laughs> in front of a million people watching TV and in speeches and everything else. And uh, 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 what, what, uh, what do I do? That's actually exactly <laughs> what happened. Did you watch it? Did you watch it? Because I looked at Barb, and me and Barb just kind of looked at each other. We go, did, did that just happen? <laughs> so it's definitely difficult, there's but nothing, it's to a ball. There's nothing like the voice on the other end of the line to now put you out of your comfort space. And now you have to really find a new comfort space uh, to, to, to work within. But, you know, one of the things I think that this uh, podcast can contribute towards is people's understanding that Doing public polls is the farthest thing from a bunch of people sitting at the phone, dialing in, Absolutely. asking a bunch of questions. This is a very systematic, scientific process, and I think that's one of the things that we're alluding to. Before before Brooke uh, finished, I would like – you've had some other neat experiences, and if we can – play Welcome to Marist College and here's one in front of you. <laughs> yeah. T talk about some of the things you've done along the way. Yeah, so I think the great part is not only hearing people on the phones, but then going out into the field and actually as a student, as a 20-year-old student at Marist, just being able to get out there, go to the New Hampshire primary, meet some of the candidates in person, be able to shake their hands, see how political journalists kind of kind of work the system. They go up to the candidates, introduce themselves speak with them, allude back to the data, see how they're actually doing, and be able to actually experience that has been, been pretty cool. So what do you get to do when you grow up? Because you're about to graduate. Yeah, so I, I do want to go into broadcast journalism. That is the goal. And I think that where I'm at right now is definitely getting there. It's a step. But I think working at the Marist Bowl, honestly, sometimes people tell you your whole life and you hear some pretty good stories before you get to hang up. So. And, and currently you're doing some internships, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. So I'm right now I'm at WABC. So that's been pretty fun. And I actually got to work at Yahoo over the summer. So it's been an experience bringing everything together. You don't see it happening. As a freshman, I walked in with all these dreams, all these ideas. And now 
some of them may be happening. So you so. think Mark Halpern should be concerned about the future of his role on the circus? Uh, maybe. Might give him a run for his money. <laughs> well, thanks uh, so much for coming in and sharing these stories. It's oh, great. Yeah. And good luck to you uh, as you uh, as you uh, attempt to jump into the crazy world of journalism. Thanks speaking, for the speaking from experience, yeah. Uh, it's funny. When, when she, she walked in, she did not expect to do this podcast today. We were talking about this and uh, didn't expect this day to be the way this day has turned out and and I said and this is true then that's exactly what you want if you want to be a broadcast or any kind of journalist no day is going to be like you planned and if it is it's a boring day and you're not going to want those kinds of days up for the so. challenge cool all right thanks for coming in appreciate it thanks for it. having me loved being here in new york Hey, and one other reason you're in New York, we, we talked about the mayor's race, but the real reason that um, we're in New York tonight is for someone that we both worked with who is being honored tonight, uh, Gabe Pressman. Um, I hate to use the word legendary because it's so ridiculously overused, but if anybody deserves that honorific, it's the legendary Gabe Pressman who essentially invented television, local TV news reporting, and then went on to define all of the great characteristics of what makes great local journalism, not just great TV journalism or great journalism, but great local journalism. Um, What's the event? And and, um, let's talk about Gabe a little bit. Well, it's a a group, City Limits, that's doing um, an event which is honoring several people, among whom uh, Gabe is the one that's the attraction for for me, and it's a chance to uh, posthumously call attention to his life and because so many people he interned interned with him and he mentored over the years and there was uh, 35 Marist interns who worked with him. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't know the, the connection between the Marist poll and Marist College and Gabe. It was Gabe. It's <laughs> not just that you guys prov- provided polls or he reported on polls that you guys did in covering politics. There was actually a much deeper relationship in in uh, in, in in putting interns in working with Gabe and his producers, and that was the prize internship absolutely and 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 a lasting memory and students then later in life many of whom went into the field or not stayed in contact with gay but i have you know my best not my best maybe but certainly the most standout memory i have was the first time i met gay pressman um and i was introduced to him by tim russert who had been recently working with nbc and he was in new york at that point and we had just done a five-state poll, um, and if I recall, it was on the recession and people digging out and making ends meet and things of that sort. And I talked to Tim about it, and he said, you know what, I think that's a story for Gabe Pressman. And so I, this was a good answer for me at that point. And so we went down to, um, I guess, up to the floor at that point, I think it was the seventh floor, um, and out comes Gabe. And now he says, after I make my pitch, something that, first of all, shocked me and I think would shock anybody who ever worked with Gabe since or before. I expressed to Gabe what this poll was about, and his response was, okay, but what are the visuals? (laughs) 
Now, Gay Pressman was probably way down on the scale of visuals being the criteria yeah. for yeah. Um, for whether something was newsworthy or not. Uh, but I think in many ways that's that still is the first time is the one that's still perhaps the most memorable. Did he do the story? Uh, yes, he did a shortcut of the story, um, but it wasn't a whole lot of visuals. I suggest maybe you could go to a supermarket, talk about prices. Yeah. Here I am now working really hard on this. You want wanted to be his producer at that moment. Yes, and you know, we were at that point, as we like to say, country pollsters from Poughkeepsie, yeah. and um, and this was Gabe Pressman, who my grandmother said, and this Gabe always hated, but I love to tell him, um, uh, my grandmother was in Bensonhurst, and when I was a kid growing up, she would look at the TV and see Gabe and say, now there's an honest man. Um, and I think that's probably... Well, that is insightful, and, and, insightful and, and, and absolutely the truth um, in every way that you can use the word honesty. The thing that, that I was – you know, I worked as a competitor of his when I was uh, at ABC and then alongside him in our political as unit. As a colleague. As a colleague, um, you know, working on stories together, working on different angles of the same story. And there was there's always competition within a news organization, but by and large, we, we were – you know, we worked in a cooperative basis. But the thing that so impressed me about him, and, and I, you know, I was already well into my career. I wasn't a kid. Uh, you don't get to New York, you know, you're not a kid when you're starting in, in, a, in a news organization like this. Um, so I had a lot of, you know, experiences under my belt, but nothing like Gabe's. And, and the thing that really stood out to me was that he was not afraid to stand up to anyone. And he's legendary for standing up to mayors and stuff like that. That's actually easier than standing up to your boss, to your news director, or to your general manager. Hmm, interesting. That's a harder thing to do and something that many people, and I'm sure this is in many companies and many different you know careers, that is something that that is very difficult to do. And very few, for I think very few journalists, if they have to do it, I think very few do it in the way that Gabe did it and did it repeatedly. Uh, when he felt a story was important and needed to be told, he fought all the way to the top. He went all the way in one case to the president of NBC, not NBC News, to the president of NBC. I'm, I'm feeling he won that one. And he did. Uh, and and that's the kind of passion that he had for telling stories. And he wasn't trying to tell stories about, like, the latest Kardashian thing. He was telling important stories, important stories about social issues. And, and um, you know, he is he has left a legacy that anybody who works in journalism uh, or in, in, in any kind of social justice work, um, he has left a legacy uh, to follow and for anybody. What, and what he stood for during his lifetime certainly is an issue that hasn't gone away, and that is the right freedom of the press, First Amendment, and that was always what he would talk about with politicians and anybody else. It was access, and I suspect... Uh, at the gate, he was welcomed by Peter, <laughs> Peter Zenger, uh, who probably uh, said, good job and welcome aboard. At which point, Gabe said, what do you mean by that? <laughs> I got a question on that one. <laughs> That'll do it for this edition of Poll Hub. Poll Hub is a production of the Marist Institute for Public Opinion at Marist College. And thanks to Zazoom for allowing us to use their New York City studios to record this episode. Yeah, and we'd encourage people to send any questions they might have to pollhub at marist.edu. You can always check us out on Pollhub on social media, the Marist Poll on Twitter, Marist Poll on Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, 
and anything else that is invented between now and the next few months that might be a mode of communication. And we'll make sure to get the mayor's poll handle for that. Uh, don't forget also to subscribe wherever you're listening to this or seeing this. Please subscribe. Um, we have a new episode every week, and that way you can keep in touch with us. Uh, thanks. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time on Paul Hub.